Section 26 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Fournier, Marshall, Virginia, USA. The World's Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 26. The Bubbles of the Reign of King George I, 1720, by Charles Mackay. The greatest and most calamitous of the bubbles was the South Sea Company, with its scheme for paying off the national debt by trading in the South Sea. The company set wild stories afloat of the enormous fortunes that might be made by this trade, and at the office in Exchange Alley, people strove with one another for an opportunity to purchase its stock. A ballad of the day declares, Then stars and garters did appear, among the meaner rabble, To buy and sell, to see and hear, the Jews and Gentiles squabble. The greatest ladies hither come, and plied their chariots daily, Or pawned their jewels for a sum, to venture in the alley. When the speculative mania was at its height, The chairman and some of the chief directors sold out their interests at an enormous profit, then came the crash, and thousands of families were made beggars. Parliament investigated, and eventually the stockholders received nearly one-third of the money which they had so foolishly invested. The Editor Innumerable joint-stock companies started up everywhere. They soon received the name of Bubbles, the most appropriate that imagination could devise. The populace are often most happy in the nicknames they employ. None could be more apt than that of bubbles. Some of them last for a week or a fortnight, and were no more heard of, while others could not even live out that short span of existence. Every evening produced new schemes, and every morning new projects. The highest of the aristocracy were as eager in this hot pursuit of gain as the most plodding jobber in Cornhill. The Prince of Wales became governor of one company, and is said to have cleared forty thousand pounds by his speculations. The Duke of Bridgewater started a scheme for the improvement of London and Westminster, and the Duke of Chandos another. There were nearly a hundred different projects, each more extravagant and deceptive than the other. To use the words of the political state, they were, quote, set on foot and promoted by crafty knaves, then pursued by multitudes of covetous fools, and at last appeared to be, in effect, what their vulgar appellation denoted them to be, bubbles and mere cheats. End quote. It was computed that near one million and half sterling was won and lost by these unwarrantable practices, to the impoverishment of many a fool, and the enrichment of many a rogue. Some of these schemes were plausible enough, and, had they been undertaken at a time when the public mind was unexcited, might have been pursued with advantage to all concerned, but they were established merely with the view of raising the shares in the market. The projectors took the first opportunity of a rise to sell out, and next morning the scheme was at an end. Maitland, in his History of London, gravely informs us that one of the projects which received great encouragement was for the establishment of a company to make deal boards out of sawdust, this is no doubt intended as a joke, but there is abundance of evidence to show that dozens of schemes, hardly a whit more reasonable, lived their little day, ruining hundreds ere they fell. 
One of them was for a wheel of perpetual motion, capital one million. Another was for encouraging the breed of horses in England, and improving of glebe and church lands, and repairing and rebuilding parsonage and vicarage houses. Why the clergy, who were so mainly interested in the latter clause, should have taken so much interest in the first, is only to be explained on the supposition that the scheme was projected by a knot of the fox-hunting parsons, once so common in England. The shares of this company were rapidly subscribed for. But the most absurd and preposterous of all, and which showed, more completely than any other, the utter madness of the people, was one started by an unknown adventurer entitled A Company for Carrying on an Undertaking of Great Advantage, but nobody to know what it is. Were not the fact stated by scores of witnesses, it would be impossible to believe that any person could have been duped by such a project. The man of genius who essayed this bold and successful inroad upon public credulity merely stated in his prospectus that the required capital was half a million, in five thousand shares of one hundred pounds each, deposit two pounds per share. Each subscriber, paying his deposit, would be entitled to one hundred pounds per annum per share. How this immense profit was to be obtained, he did not condescend to inform them at that time, but promised that in a month full particulars should be duly announced, and a call made for the remaining ninety-eight pounds of the subscription. Next morning, at nine o'clock, this great man opened an office in Cornhill, Crowds of people beset his door, and when he shut up at three o'clock, he found that no less than one thousand shares had been subscribed for, and the deposits paid. He was thus, in five hours, the winner of two thousand pounds. He was philosopher enough to be contented with this venture, and set off the same evening for the continent. He was never heard of again. Well might Swift exclaim, comparing Exchange Alley to a gulf in the South Sea, Subscribers here by thousands float, and jostle one another down, each paddling in his leaky boat, and here they fish for gold and drown, now buried in the depths below, now mounted up to heaven again, they reel and stagger to and fro, at their wits' end like drunken men, meantime, Secure on Garraway cliffs, a savage race, by shipwrecks fed, lie waiting for the foundered skiffs, and strip the bodies of the dead. Another fraud that was very successful was that of the globe permits, as they were called. They were nothing more than square pieces of playing cards, on which was the impression of a seal, in wax, bearing the sign of the globe tavern, in the neighborhood of Exchange Alley, with the inscription of sailcloth permits. The possessors enjoyed no other advantage from them than permission to subscribe at some future time to a new sailcloth manufactory, projected by one who was then known to be a man of fortune, but who was afterwards involved in the peculation and punishment of the South Sea directors. These permits sold for as much as sixty guineas in the alley. Persons of distinction, of both sexes, were deeply engaged in all these bubbles, those of the male sex going to taverns and coffee-houses to meet their brokers, and the ladies resorting for the same purpose to the shops of milliners and haberdashers. 
but it did not follow that all these people believed in the feasibility of the schemes to which they subscribed. It was enough for their purpose that their shares would, by stock-jobbing arts, be soon raised to a premium, when they got rid of them with all expedition to the really credulous. So great was the confusion of the crowd in the alley that shares in the same bubble were known to have been sold at the same instant ten percent higher at one end of the alley than at the other. Sensible men beheld the extraordinary infatuation of the people with sorrow and alarm. There were some, both in and out of Parliament, who foresaw clearly the ruin that was impending. Mr. Walpole did not cease his gloomy forebodings. His fears were shared by all the thinking few, and impressed most forcibly upon the government. On the 11th of June, the day the Parliament rose, the King published a proclamation, declaring that all these unlawful projects should be deemed public nuisances, and prosecuted accordingly, and forbidding any broker, under a penalty of five hundred pounds, from buying or selling any shares in them. Notwithstanding this proclamation, roguish speculators still carried them on, and the deluded people still encouraged them. On the 12th of July, an order by the Lord's Justices assembled in Privy Council was published, dismissing all the petitions that had been presented for patents and charters, and dissolving all the bubble companies. End of section 26. This recording is in the public domain.